Hello everyone and welcome to the Frogcast. It's been a while. It's been too long. Merry Christmas, delayed, and Happy New Year. We are glad to be back online recording this episode of the Frogcast, the first one of 2020. We've been coming at you since 2015 and now here we are in 2020 on the cusp of a new decade and hopefully a new decade of dominance for the TCU Horn Frogs. As always, I have my partners in crime, Jeremy Clark and Daniel Southern with me. Men, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, boys. Happy New Year. <laughs> Daniel, you're always so excited. Just dial it back a little bit. I mean, yeah. I, I know you kind of have that really? uh, always, you know, mildly excited catatonic tone. So let's just dial it back a little bit there. I'm sorry. I, I had a monster just now. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh, man. Well, needless to say, a whole lot has happened since the last time we were on our show. We're just going to go ahead and apologize. We Our recruiting show crashed, and that's all I'm going to say about it. It stinks that it's not there. But we got a whole lot more to talk about on this episode, and we'll probably need to be back in a week or, or less than a week even with some new coaching stuff that's going to continue to unfold over the next 10 days. So let's just start with the basics, Jeremy. We have two coaching vacancies to fill right now. Curtis Looper takes the position, offensive coordinator at the University of Missouri, and uh, Chris Thompson, offensive line coach, takes the spot in at Florida State, reunites with Mike Norvell, who uh, left Memphis to take the head job at FSU. They had worked together out at Arizona State. That leaves two spots um, open. we got the offensive line position, and then we have the running back position. But there's been some mix, mixing and movement among the staff. we got two spots that are going to be filled. Break down for us the internal change of staff that I know a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about, but it looks like Anderson is moving from the inside receiver coach to the offensive line coach. Is that what has unfolded, and what's your take on that? Yeah, uh, first off, just getting – back to Looper and Thompson leaving. The good thing about those guys leaving, because everyone was so concerned with the timing of it. They, they basically, it basically came out later uh, during the early signing day that both of them were leaving. Uh, obviously Looper had connection with Drinkwitz uh, at uh, Auburn uh, when those two coached together. And, and Chris Thompson, like you mentioned, had a close relationship with uh, Mike Norvell. But the good thing is, is that, those guys the, the, and, the, and the other coaches at TCU were, were very clear to the TCU uh, the recruits, letting them know what was coming. And they still signed all the kids that they had to. And, and that was a really good day for them to, to get that done. But as far as the changes Gary's making right now, uh, everyone knows Jared Anderson is now back to offensive line. So you have a running back position open and an inside receivers position open from where Anderson coached uh, before. But the offensive line move, yeah, it's it's not the name fans wanted to hear. Uh, Jarrett, for whatever reason, he's the guy fans love to hate. Uh, when, he co- when he coached the offensive line, he had a, a great GA helping him. Bryson Oliver was pretty good. But talking with some folks around the program and, and, and guys that played offensive line that are former players – they all said Anderson did fine, and and he developed them decent enough. They had two really good years in 14 and 15, and, and 16 was kind of a down year, but 17 when Chris Thompson came in, he, he got the benefit of having all these older offensive linemen, so they were great. But if you look at this past year, 2019, it was the most sacks TCU gave up in a long time. I mean, Gary Patterson told me he couldn't remember – another year to where they gave up so many sacks uh, as much as they did this past year. So I'm not saying Chris Thompson was terrible at his job because Chris was actually pretty good. And, and, and I think the players liked him, but I think they'll be fine with Jared Anderson. Uh, it's still going to be a, 
a scary position next year just because they don't have experience. You're losing Lucas Niang. You lose David Bolasoma. You lose Anthony McKinney. So people got to understand that if the offensive line does struggle, they just can't start pointing fingers at Jared Anderson. There's not a lot. Of, there's not a ton of experience here in this group. That's why you went out and you got a Brandon Coleman from the JUCO ranks, and 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 you got a guy like Garrett Hayes that could come in and and add some depth or, or possibly become a starter. And you got some younger players coming back that you hope can get good enough to where they they can help the offensive line not make it better, but at least mend it together enough to where they could get some decent run plays and, and some pass protection for poor Max Duggan, who basically ran for his life all year last year. But the the running back coach, uh, I, I think that one is is getting closer. The inside receivers coach, I think we've all pretty much talked about it. Y'all have read about it. I've posted about it. Uh, Doug Meacham is the guy that's, that's going to be uh, taking over that position. He's not going to be calling plays. He will have some offensive input, but – I, I think it's a, a, a good move as far as a input standpoint because he is uh, pretty good on offense, scheming up plays. Uh, they, and when you when you got a guy like that that that's coming back that had his success at TCU, it's again maybe not the name some TCU fans wanted, but he has a history here and and he really wanted to be a TCU coach, and that's that's pretty important. You want you wanted to have a guy that really buys into the process and he knows what he's getting into. He knows exactly how Gary Patterson is. He knows how Jared Anderson, Sonny Comby, uh, is as well. He's got to get to know Malcolm, uh, Malcolm Kelly a little bit, but as far as the, the coaching staff, all of them know him. He's been to several football games in the last year. So, uh, I, I think it's a good move, but the one thing I could say is the coaches convention is coming up this coming weekend and, Gary Patterson wants to have all these hires made before they go to that convention. You know, I just want to highlight something that you said earlier. Um, There were so many liabilities this season. I think it all begins and ends with offensive line. And I'm going to kind of push back a little bit on you. I'm not sure Thompson was that great of an offensive line coach. I know that, uh, you know, there was some development issues from guy. you know, Anthony McKinney did not get any better the minute he stepped on campus. Um, by the time he left, I, you know, he, he's not a college student anymore. So I feel like I can be a little clear. So, I can agree with I, that. He did struggle. This he year. did struggle this year. I did not see development on the offensive line. And I did not see just a basic threshold of being able to, you know, protect when they need to protect and run when they need to run and have some versatility along the front line. I, I was not impressed with what Thompson did. I know he's a good guy. I know he had, um, you know, some good experience. He'd been a head coach at ACU. He bounced around the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Doesn't mean he's not a good guy. Doesn't mean he can't have success at uh, Florida State. But if I understand right, he's not going to be the offensive line coach at Florida State. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, from what I understand, uh, and I talked to Chris, and he was really just kind of back and forth with what he was going to do. And and I knew as soon as Mike had reached out to him that there was some interest there, not because – and a lot of people are are saying – or not a lot, I'm not going to say the whole board is, but I've seen some individuals kind of claim that Looper and Thompson left because they saw a sinking ship and they they knew if Cumbie was coming back that it wasn't ever going to get any better. That That is completely false. Um, both both those guys, I had good relationships with both of them, and, and they, they spoke volumes about Sonny Cumbie and just being at TCU altogether. They just had opportunities that they couldn't pass up. And with Thompson, he had an opportunity to become kind of, it's, it's a weird phrase. I've never really heard it, but it's, 
deputy head coach. And that, that to me is is kind of, (laughs) it's basically like you've got the sheriff and you've got the deputy. So it sounds like he's going in to kind of be second in command and, for him, I mean, he he like you mentioned earlier, Jeff. He was at Abilene Christian uh, through 2011, and then went to Texas Tech for 2012, and then ended up at Arizona State before he came to TCU. But he was always kind of wanting to get to that P5 level, and and you've got to think if if something goes on with Norvell and he can't coach or whatever, then you've got. Chris Thompson, that's probably not not to wish bad luck on anyone at Florida State, but if something did happen to, to Norvell, then I would bet my mortgage that Chris Thompson would probably be named the interim head coach. And you're going from an offensive line coach uh, a year prior, and now you're coaching at a P5 program, especially one like Florida State. So I, I don't blame him with that move. Uh, he coached Mike Norvell at Central Arkansas, co- and, and they always had that relationship. I think he even recruited Mark, uh, Mike Norvell out of high school, and that's the whole reason he ended up at Arizona State. And Mike Norvell tried to uh, hire him as the offensive coordinator uh, when he got hired on at Memphis. He tried to hire Chris on as the OC over there, and and Chris wanted to stay at the uh, P5 level. He didn't want to make a move to G5. So uh, that's that was uh, kind of how that took place. And with Looper, again, Hold you're on, going to get, a place. Where let you, me get something in here before you go to Looper. Okay. My hunch is the deputy head coach is going to be the liaison to the deputy chief of police for Tallahassee. That, that, that's my hunch. <laughs> if if, uh, if uh, you could be historical right. trends continue, the deputy head coach will know the deputy chief of police very, very well. So, all right, that's all I wanted to say. In Tallahassee especially, yeah, you're probably yes. right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on to Loop. With, yeah, with Loop, I mean, it's the same, same deal. There was uh, He was familiar with the head coach. They coached together at Auburn, and, and you're getting a – he the, the coach over there, he's known as an offensive uh, head coach. He calls his plays kind of like Coach Patterson calls defensive plays for TCU, so – you're kind of thinking that Looper's probably just going to get the title there, but it, it's a chance to have that title by yourself. You're not a you're not a co-offensive coordinator. Uh, you're getting paid around the same amount of money. You're getting to coach running backs, and and you're getting back to the SEC. And, and Looper loves the SEC. It gives him a chance to coach again over there, and it, it was it was a good move for him as far as. Uh, you know, where he wants to take his career because he was he was also a head coaching candidate at New Mexico. And it, it's funny, and I posted this on the board, and, and, and no one could really believe it, but all five offensive coaches for TCU were approached by different programs. You had, you had Malcolm Kelly with Texas. You had, obviously, Looper with Missouri, Thompson with Florida State, Sonny Cumbie with UTSA, and Jared Anderson – had some uh, people from Mexico reach out to him too about taking on a position down there because that's where he played at New Mexico. Jared Anderson did so. Um, if you guys uh, listen to this long enough, you'll get some information that I hadn't posted on the board yet. Well, that's good stuff to know. All right, well, let's talk about some of the things that we don't want to talk about. Doug, Doug Meacham left in 2016. Obviously, he was the the co mastermind of the 2014 and the 2015, uh, um, you know, top ten finishes. 2016, we all know, was kind of a tough year, but we've had two tough years uh, in 17 and 18 or 18 and 19 here. Uh, how is he going to 
reassimilate, reconnect, make sure that everybody's on the same page coming back in. Because you, you hear rumors there was a little conflict or, you know, who was really in charge, too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, I guess two things. Is 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 Meacham going to be able to blend back in with chemistry? Because that matters most. And then does he understand his role is 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 not the same as it was when he was here in, in 14, 15, and 16? Can you address that? Because I, I, yeah. it's on my mind, and I'm, I'm really curious about uh, – uh, about what your thoughts are. Well, I, that's what I was kind of talking about earlier with the commitment that he's shown to come back to TCU. Uh, he knows those things. It's it's one of those things that has been brought up time and time again. Uh, e- even when there was rumors a while back, I think I posted a long time ago that Meacham was going to be trying to come back, and this was this was months ago. Um, and I wish I could should have archived that post about it because people started talking about it then. But there was also always a, a, a possibility, um, and and depending on what you believe, yeah, there was some conflict. Yeah, there there were some. I, I don't want to say any heated exchanges or anything like that, but there were some egos involved, and and I think it's it's been moved on, and that's kind of the the thing I've been telling you guys uh, on the board about this position that coach Patterson is trying to have for the offense. It just kind of oversees everything and it just kind of keeps control uh, of those uh, things that happen within an offensive coaching staff. If there is some kind of conflict, you get past that and you have someone that can report to coach Patterson about what the conflict is, how they're going to fix it, this and that, et cetera, et cetera. And I think uh, for the most part, if, if Doug hadn't moved past that or if the other coaches on the staff hadn't moved past that, we wouldn't even be discussing his name right now. So I think uh, bygones be bygones and everyone's uh, saying it's water under the bridge and move forward. All right, so that obviously begs the question. we got Anderson going to offensive line. Doug Meacham's going to step in and be the inside receivers coach. What do we know about what's going to transpire in the search for a running backs coach? We've heard a lot of names that you posted on the board. If you're not a member of Horn Frog Blitz, go change that now. Uh, you know, a lot of things floating around on the internet. Everybody's kind of got their own – everybody's their own Jimmy Sexton. They think they know who should be there. Who, who are a couple of names that we're hearing, and what should we keep our eye on? We know You said it's going to be locked up here in the next week. What might we anticipate? Yeah, that's that's the hope is that it's locked up within the within the week before they head out of town. But it it's it's kind of a, a crazy uh, it's kind of crazy because it's a fluid situation uh, to use that term that everyone uses. About oh seven o'clock Saturday night, I was almost one hundred percent certain that it was going to be Daryl Wyatt. And then about 10.30, not not really that late, maybe about 10 o'clock, I got some different information that I, of course, post on the board. And I'm not totally eliminating Daryl Wyatt as a candidate, but uh, I'm I'm not thinking as strongly as I was about it uh, right now. I mean, I I don't think he's the leader in the clubhouse. And that could change. Like I said, it's a fluid situation. But some other guys that people have asked about, Hey Stoker, I, I really haven't heard much movement on him. The Jalute guy out of Lafayette, uh, he's a name that was kind of a, a hot name early on, but it's it's kind of faded. But the, the last I was told, guys, is that it, it, Coach Patterson's really trying to look at someone that has uh, maybe some NFL ties. And I don't have a name. I posted that on the board. I, I, I don't know who it is. It's kind of a 
top secret thing. And and this guy could be coaching in college right now, just because I said NFL ties. It doesn't mean he's coming from the NFL. He could have coached in the NFL before. So that that leaves oh probably about a thousand candidates out there uh, that I may not know about. But that's that's one of the things that I, I was told that. It, it it the the guy that Coach Patterson likes does have an, an a, some ties to the NFL, so that could be big. And depending on who he coached in the NFL, if he coached some really good running backs, that could be a, a pretty good recruiting point for them. I mean, if he's if he's coaching some Pro Bowlers and and some guys that have put up some massive yards, that's that's pretty good uh, a pretty good pitch that you can tell to these high school recruits and especially the guys that they got currently on the roster because it's going to only going to make them happier that they get to play for the guy so uh hopefully that that comes to uh fruition we'll know something today's sunday hopefully we'll know something on that monday or tuesday all right breaking news in the next couple of days look forward to that all right one of the stories that's uh, bouncing around our website as well as it's kind of leaking out on twitter there is possibly one of these uh analysts off the field, uh, but high-quality positions that's going to be created. Uh, coach Patterson is possibly looking at bringing in an experienced uh, uh, coach to come in and, and oversee some different dimensions of the program. How much of that can you tell us about? Because that's something that's kind of piqued my curiosity. Well, what's Twitter saying? I've got uh, I got a name. Can I use a name? Can I say it? <laughs> Who, who's mentioning it on Twitter? I, I, I'm not going to – <laughs> no one that has a blue check mark. I'll put it that way. I'll put it that way. Okay. Okay. So probably people that have been reading probably the site. Probably people that have been reading the site. Yes. <laughs> I will uh, you, you uh, can bleep it out. I'm I'm hearing Jerry Kill on on in a variety of ways. Um is someone that may be coming in, former head coach at University of Minnesota and NIU. Uh but that doesn't mean it's happening, but that's something that's kind of got my got my interest up. No, I mean that's that's true. There, there is some uh, talks going on, and uh, Coach Patterson has, you know, it, it's not any secrets. I mean, the, the two are best friends. He has the utmost respect for Jerry Kill and, and, and Jerry at Kill. Wedding, by the way, I, I, he was the best man at Coach Patterson's wedding. Yeah, yeah, and so I mean, there's, there's obviously. If, if if they if they want to work together, then you you've got to think it's going to happen, um, and that and that's another deal that we hope to find out hopefully by Tuesday or Wednesday. But if you bring in a guy like Jerry Kill that has years of experience as a as a head coach, and he's been at Virginia Tech the past couple of years, kind of doing the same thing for Justin Fuente, and Fuente would hate to lose him because he is he is such a a, a great coach and evaluator, and, and basically it's just one of those positions that if he does bring in a guy like Jerry kill that can oversee the offense and can evaluate the coaches, the players, the play calling, the schemes, everything. And Gary Patterson doesn't have to touch any of that because we all know that he trusts Jerry kill to do his job. Then that's a win-win. I mean, that's, that's something that you can have, even though the defense didn't struggle this year uh, as a whole, they, they struggled at times, but in general, they were they were pretty dang good to finish number two in the Big Twelve in total defense. So, uh, the defensive side of the ball wasn't really a huge problem for them this year. So, if Gary can focus even more of his time just solely on defense, that that's only going to help the program in general. But 
Uh, I, I think it would be a great hire for him to, to, to be on staff. Jerry did come down. I think he spent about a week uh, last year uh, coming down and just kind of visiting with TCU and, and just being around the program. They always have coaches from other from other programs that will come down and, and kind of hang around the staff and learn some of the defensive schemes or offensive schemes, whatever, how they how they practice and do all those things. And, and Jerry was one of those guys that came down and, and just really came down and gave his input, what, what he liked and, you know, just things like that. And it's a guy that I know uh, Gary Patterson can trust. I mean, it's like I said, it's his best friend and it may not be the guy that fans want. I mean, they're not going to get a, a hot name as an offensive coordinator, coach Patterson. We all, if, if you haven't figured out by now, he's loyal to a core to his guys, even keeping Sonny around when, 90% of the fan base wants to fire him or moving Jared Anderson to offensive line coach where 99% of the fan base thinks it's a horrible move. He's, he's going to keep his, he's going to keep his loyalty to, to his coaches. And sometimes people fault him for that. I don't, I mean, I think, I think it's great. I think it's, it shows other coaches, these candidates that are applying for these jobs now that you can go into a program and you're not going to be fired after one year, uh, or two years if, if, if you're not appeasing the fan base or the big cigars. And so it's, it's, it's refreshing that you actually have a coach that kind of for back, uh, lack of better terms can stick his middle finger up to some people and say, I'm doing it my way. Well, he can definitely do that. I, uh, I'm good with two of the three. I like Anderson going to offensive line. I kind of like Meacham coming back. Uh, I'm, I, I could take or leave, uh, Sonny, uh, Sonny Cumby. I think he's an amazing human being. I think there needs to be some changes this year, but the, the change you made or the suggestion that you're hearing about Jerry Kill gives me a lot more confidence with Sonny because I want him to succeed. I'll say that. I, I agree with two and a half of them. I want to give Sonny a chance to succeed, and I think, I think the arrangement that they're setting up might make that happen. All right, anything and the big thing and, and the big thing with Jerry is he's probably going to be spinning if if he does come on to staff is he's probably going to be spending a majority of his time with the offensive line not because Anderson doesn't know what he's doing just because that is I mean I'll, I'll say it right now I'm I'm scared to death I'm scared to death for that position just because there's not a ton of experience right now. All right, let me ask you this question and this is one of those things that I can't quite get to the bottom of. All right, I'm going to sound like a message board troll here. All right, there's an on-the-field coach, and by that I mean they are physically on the field during the game. There's an analyst. Can an analyst, that would be like what Jerry Kill is or what some of the other people on our staff are, can an analyst be on the practice field? Can you load up with 40 on the practice field coaches, and are you limited on the game, on, on the sideline during the game, or is that limitation on the practice field as well as the uh the the sideline i i don't know the exact rules i'm sure with jerry if if he takes the position that he would be allowed to be on the sideline there's there's guys that aren't part of the the quote unquote 10 position coaches that are on the field analysts gas um, they're on the field they're up in the box it's not like jerry kill is going to have to sit in his office when they're playing a game or staying at home when they travel uh, he's he's going to be somewhere close, and and he's not. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be one of those things where he has 
headsets on and he's he's talking to Sonny Cumbie or anything like that, but I could be wrong as well. So it's it I don't know the exact rule as far as the numbers or if he if he could get in trouble if he walked outside and watched practice. There is some rules to where some people can't do that, but I don't think it would be one of those rules for a quote-unquote offensive head coach. But what they can't do is uh, go out and recruit. They can't make in-home business, and they can't Correct. visit schools. Correct. They 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 cannot go out on the road. They can't visit schools, but they can reach out to kids. They can call them. They can send messages. They can talk to them as much as they want to if the kid gets on campus and basically do anything that other coaches can do. They just can't go out on the road and recruit. It's kind of like what, you know, it's kind of like you, you have the X amount of number of coaches you can have on the field. It's the same thing with recruiting. You can only have 10 position coaches go out on the road recruiting. So a couple of years ago when Rusty Burns was not feeling, feeling well and he couldn't go out on the road, they sent Damani Cross out. And so Damani Cross became part of a, a recruiting effort for some of uh, Rusty Burns guys or Damani would go and help other coaches recruit uh, while, while Rusty Burns couldn't and he had to stay in the office. And Rusty Burns is no longer an on-the-field coach, just in case um, you're still blaming him for the fact that uh, we had incompletions this year. I just want, kind of wanted to get that on the record for everybody. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Anything else on or anything else on coaching changes you want to highlight before we transition into the uh, All American Bowl? Uh, other than what I've posted on the board, I mean, there's there's one a chance that something else could happen, and it's all probably going to happen within this week. It's fifty fifty right now, um, and like I said earlier, every every coach on TCU's offensive staff has been offered a position at some point by another school. So um, that's about the best hint I can give. And it's, uh, you know, it's going to be worth keeping an eye on. I will keep an eye on that. It's not like I only check the message board once a day. I will do that. All right, the Frogs, um, we had uh, a lot of the high school All-American games that took place over this last week. The Frogs had two participants in the All-American Bowl Garrett Hayes out there out of East Texas and Patrick Jenkins, big four-star defensive tackle out of the boot. Tell us a little bit about what you heard about both those guys, what we saw. They, they both looked really good on film just from my untrained eye. Give us a breakdown about what we were able to catch, and catch a glimpse of with Jenkins and with Hayes because I think both those guys are going to be immediate contributors. Yeah, and, and the story I did for the guys that I think are going to play right away with the freshmen is I, I think both of them will – play all 12 games and hopefully 13 and 14 if they make it to the big 12 championship in a, in a nice bowl game, but uh, they're going to play, they're going to lose the red shirt. Patrick Jenkins just had a, a, a great week down there in San Antonio. He, man, he's just got, he, he has got such a great first move. He's so quick. And with Ross Blacklock leaving to the NFL that you, you've got to think that he has a potential to come in right away and, and, and not start, but, the way they rotate their defensive line and keep those legs fresh, he's he's going to beat out guys like George Ellis, and 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 I think he'll he'll be definitely in the in the two or three deep right away. Him getting on campus in January and 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 being a a guy that could go through spring camp is is just going to help him even more uh, as, as far as him getting on the field 
sooner. Uh, can I drop but, this about Patrick Jenkins for all you LSU fans? I know we got a ton of LSU fans that listen to this show. He was not processed out and told to look other places. The Frogs flipped him from LSU, and LSU wanted him. I'm right on that. Yes. yes so I just wanted to make that abundantly clear that that was a serious recruiting battle that uh, you got to give it to Zarnell Fish. Serious recruiting battle from a team that, I'll save this in a minute, I think is going to win the national championship. They're able to flip a significant player right there in their backyard from LSU to TCU. So I just had to set the record right well, there. Let me – I'll, I'll give you I'll give you the the listeners a little nugget but, uh, that I usually wait till signing day to post and I and I'll, I'm sure I'll post it again but my behind the scenes recruiting nuggets um, the day Patrick Morris decommitted from LSU TCU already knew it because he committed to TCU the next day he just kept it silent for several weeks oh that's that's a tasty little nugget right there that's a spicy little nugget dipped in sauce I love it. Yeah, he. That's that's why that's when I kept posting that Patrick was going to make a decision in early October. He he basically was silently committed to TCU, either the day of his decommitment or to LSU or the day after. It was is right. We he was decommitting. We I knew he was decommitting from LSU because if y'all guys remember, I I even posted that there was going to be a four star decommitting from another school that TCU is going to have a great chance to get. Patrick Jenkins was Jenkins was the guy I was referring to. And so before he even decommitted from LSU, he was already telling TCU that's where he's going. That's good stuff. I like that. All right, so Jenkins looked really good in the All-American game. Tell us a little bit about uh, Garrett Hayes. Man, he's just a strong dude. <laughs> he he is he is going to be the guy that he, – he worked at guard this week, and he even worked at center. He's He worked more as an interior guy. He's not built – like a typical tackle is built these days. The typical tackles like 6'6", 280, 290. He's more of a squatty 6'5", 295, 300 pounds. And, man, he's just strong as an ox. He he can create some running lanes. And, man, he is so – it's it's crazy because he he didn't ever talk recruiting. He, he does not – he did not talk recruiting throughout the whole process. I don't think he even really liked it. I t- just to be honest with you, and it was funny because I did that story. Uh, my buddy Billy and Body is the one that interviewed him down there in San Antonio, and just list. I wish I could have posted the audio as an interview, just so I can let all you guys hear how mature he is and ha- hear how you know he Billy had asked him a question. You know, you, TC didn't have a great year, but what do you see in the future? And he said, well, I trust Coach Patterson and his decision-making and everything else, he said, but there's no way I could predict what's going to happen in the future. <laughs> I mean, he's just he's just very literal, and uh, that's kind of refreshing. He's, he's just a matter-of-fact guy, and he's another kid that's extremely smart. If you didn't see the story, he's trying to choose bef- between uh, aerodynamics, astrodynamics, communications, and he had another he had another major he was looking at on there uh, – he's basically going to graduate high school with his associate's degree. So basically by the time he's a sophomore at TCU, he's probably already going to be looking to go for his master's. I mean, that's, that's how so smart he's not he going to major he, in uh, recreation management. No, no, not, no, his not at all. Not being had to put together a 15 team basketball yeah. tournament. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the funny thing is, is he, he also could have, 
uh, got to campus in January because he's 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 basically already done. I mean, he's he's just he's just going to school now for college credit. He's but he wanted to do the whole high school senior thing, the prom and everything else. And it he's not going to have trouble once he gets to TCU and starts competing with the current offensive line they have. I mean, he's he's going to make an impact and he's going to push some of these older guys. And if Garrett doesn't make the two deep and, and possibly start, he is going to push these guys hard enough to where it's going to make them better at center or at guard, wherever he lines up. I, I don't think it's going to be tackle. I think he's going to – the people I've spoken with said he they, they feel he's going to be playing on the interior. So the, it was it was good representation for TCU to have two of those guys in the game and, and really two guys that, that really stood out and, and played well. Yeah, those are two guys. You know, I know we debate about recruiting and is it more important to develop or land the top athletes. Uh, I want the top athletes that want to come in and destroy people. And it looks like these are two two guys that are just going to come in and annihilate people. Uh, you you got to be strong up front. I mean, if you can get four stars anywhere, get them in the trenches because – you can take a three-star slot and turn him into a second-team all-team or second-team all-Big Twelve. I actually believe that. I'm, I'm not so sure you can take a, a developmental project and make him a three-year starter in a way that really, really contributes in the trenches. You need top elite athletes, and the idea that next year they're going to have Patrick Jenkins and Garrett Hayes coming on campus, I don't see any way they're not going to be on the two deep the first day they put their helmets on. And then what happens from there is just their desire and their ability to adjust to the college game. So I'm excited about these two guys coming on there. And they they represented TCU well. It was, it was good to see those games and see TCU's name get mentioned and see guys that are going to be able to make an impact up front uh, uh, representing the Horde Frogs there. So. Anything else on recruiting that's just – I mean, we've got a lot more recruiting to talk about between now and signing day, but anything else, just a nugget or two that you can think of before we uh, kind of move on to the broader picture of the Big 12? I mean, they're going to start uh, hosting kids for official visits once the day period ends. It ends, I believe, the 16th. So they'll start hosting some kids on the 17th. You'll have a chance to host kids for two weekends, and then they'll have the uh, next signing day on on February fifth. Uh, so uh, there's there's some names they're still looking at. They're they're still wanting to fill. Of course, uh, they they want to get a quarterback, and they don't want to really go for a 2020 kid. They want to go for a JUCO kid. They need someone older on the on the roster. So just be looking for that. Um, there is a transfer they're looking at, but he'd have to sit at, at uh, defensive end. Uh, the Dylan Horton kid out of New Mexico, who who's really gotten so much bigger since high school, he's added like twenty five to thirty pounds. And and TCU is one of the schools he's talking to. Corey Wren is obviously still a guy they're talking to. They're trying to. He already visited officially for uh, in the spring, and that's when he really kind of gave them a solid commitment before Georgia and some other schools came in. So trying to get him on campus again would be on his family's dime. It wouldn't be on TCU's dime. Unfortunately, TCU can't pay for two official visits. So uh, Savion Williams is another guy to watch. Tied ends, they're still looking for those guys. And uh, there's, a, there's a kid that's really intriguing. He's, he's, an, he's an athlete, and I've mentioned him uh, in one of the stories I did out of Mount Enterprise. Uh, Kendra Miller is, is a kid that, He's got great size. He's he's a really good running back, but he's also just a a good overall athlete. And he could be one of those guys that kind of reminds you of the old ways TCU recruited, just 
recruiting a, a lowly recruited kid that you know is going to turn out to be a, a good player, kind of like a, a Ty Summers or a Traven Howard. Uh, Miller has some offers. He's got Wyoming. He's got, I think, UTSA and and one other, uh, maybe Southern Miss. I can't remember the exact school, but he's starting to get some more interest, and, and TCU's been on him. So it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me in the least if they ended up uh, – moving on with him and, and, and actually offering him late in the process to see, you know, if they can get him, which I think Jared Anderson's done a pretty good job recruiting him. So see how that goes, but yeah, they've got 16 spots filled right now because you got, yes, if you look at the commitments, it's only going to show 15 because Jaquay Sorrells is actually a 2019 kid. They won't put him on 2020 for whatever reason. Sorry about that. It's not going to happen, but with 16 signees, they're looking at, at filling at least four or five more spots. Did the Frogs pick up a walk-on quarterback from Mississippi State? Did I catch that? Yeah, yeah he's a walk-on guy. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of like a Matthew Downing. I mean, he didn't really play at Mississippi State either. Um, so you really don't know. I mean, they they still need another another quarterback. They, they need a, another guy to – because I've mentioned on the board, Baldwin's battling back issues. That I mean, it's not, and I'm not saying he's never going to play again, nothing like that. But you, you've got to be cognizant of his injuries, and you, you, you don't have a lot of certainty with how healthy he's going to be right now, and that's that's an issue. All right, well, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, sprinting towards signing day. We'll have a lot more to say about it between now and uh, early February. All right, boys, let's have an honest conversation here about the Big 12. Uh, we didn't even make a bowl, so that gives us full permission to mock everybody who did and who lost. The Texas Longhorns are the only team that put up a win in the bowl in our bowl games. Uh, they they kind of laid the wood to a pretty good Utah team. Everybody else got beat. And I mean everybody else got beat. Oklahoma State gave away a game to AM that they should have won. Kansas State gave away the game a game to Navy that they should have won. Iowa State laid an egg. That's all I gotta say. Laid an egg against Notre Dame. And then uh do we laugh or mock oh, uh, Oklahoma getting beat by LSU? That's kind of a tough one. Uh Jeremy Daniel, what'd you make of the Big Twelve in, in the Big Twelve in the bowl games? Because they did not look good at all. Daniel, you want to go? Remember against Oklahoma, Gary coming off the field for halftime, Landry Berdine asked, Coach, how'd you feel about the half? And Coach used one word. If you remember what he said, <laughs> that's how the Big 12 did in bowl season. Would that be a word that starts with S and ends with T? Uh, no, no, it, it actually ends with it's a it's a derivative. It rhymes with pretty. <laughs> okay, pretty. Well, the 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 Big Twelve did pretty in 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 the in the bowl games. And I I, I left off the last bowl where we didn't get to talk about it, Daniel. Did you watch the Sugar Bowl? As a matter of fact, I did. That's all I got to say. <laughs> you know. I know we didn't make a bowl, and uh, people should not mock that, but I'm just going to go ahead and say, hey, there's, uh, there's a reason that Oklahoma, or that Baylor tends to choke in big bowls. 
There's a reason Oklahoma t- or that Baylor tends to poke in big bowls. Don't give them those big servings because they're gonna they're gonna choke. Yep. But yeah, Baylor Baylor choked. Oklahoma State should have won. That's all I gotta say. The Oklahoma State should have won. And then you know Kansas State gave away a game against a pretty good Navy team. But hey, they they lost that. So I don't know. Big Twelve didn't look good in bowl games. I don't know what that says about the the state of the Big Twelve. I don't know what that says about the state of the, the. Maybe it was just bad matchups. I think we can all agree the Big Twelve was down a little bit this year. I think this was the worst Oklahoma team that got into the playoff. But the the Big Twelve did not represent itself well. And if we somehow had uh, you know won a you know beaten West Virginia, not giving up that stupid deep pass to to lose that game. We'd have been playing in the Cheez-It Bowl part two against Washington State, which at least would have been good for ratings and comedy, but I don't know that we could have beaten Washington State. I'm not sure if we could have beaten Washington State. So, hey, that's the way the cookie crumbles. All right, Daniel, tell me who you have. We got the national title game coming up. We got LSU and we got Clemson. LSU goes out and destroys Oklahoma. Clemson beats a good Ohio State team. I was kind of surprised by that. Clemson beats a good Ohio State team. Who do you see in the title game winning that? And uh, give us a prediction on the record here. Oh, I think LSU. Um, I'm not. I haven't even thought about an outcome yet, other than I think LSU takes it. You know, really for Clemson, that was probably the toughest game they played all season uh, against Ohio State. Um, and they eh, – it was cl- it was pretty close. They, they you know, uh, clinched it there towards the end. Um, and I was happy with that. I don't like Ohio State. But, yeah, I think LSU has more to play for. I think um, – I think Coach O will have them – really hungry for it and i'm just tired of the, the same old crap you know even though i don't really like lsu I'm, i'd rather have someone else win rather than just alabama clemson or ohio state um it's kind of been stale in that regards yeah i'm gonna go with lsu i think they're gonna win and win big you know here's the thing that's kind of funny about lsu they wanted Jimbo, and they couldn't get him. They wanted Tom Fisher – or Tom Fisher. They wanted uh, Tom Herman, and they couldn't get him. And so they kind of had to settle for Ed Orgeron. And so they get Ed Orgeron, and then in his third year, he gets them into the national title game in what might be the most dominant team I have seen in college football. It's, you know, in the playoff era, it's the best team I've seen in the playoff era. It's the best team I've seen in a long, long time. So kind of funny how all that stuff breaks breaks for you and against you. And against you and the guys you want, you you, you don't get. And the guys you kind of have to settle for end up taking you to the title. So I say good for Ed Ogeron and good for LSU. I'll be pulling for them. Although Dabo, he's, he's kind of a good guy. I like Dabo. But I think LSU is going to win that. So they're going to win. And, and I'm gonna tired win of looking game. at Trevor Lawrence's face. I just <laughs> – it's it may not be very fair, but I just don't like looking at that guy anymore. It's, it's like I said with Clemson; they've just been there forever. Go Tigers! You know, let's, get, let's get some new blood. Go Tigers! Go Tigers! Go Tigers! Yeah, I'm going for the LSU Tigers. Although I got to say this, uh, my grandfather, who God rest his degenerate soul, was really good friends with Danny Ford, who was the head coach, the last uh, the last head coach to win a national title for LSU. And now part of this is folklore, so I couldn't put a footnote by it. But according to my beloved grandmother, who just passed away, my grandfather might have been what they used to call a bag man. 
for, for Clemson. And so uh, I, I kind of have a soft spot. Yeah, my, yeah, for Clemson, for Kentucky, for Florida. Oh he was friends. Yeah, he was friends with Jerry Claiborne. He was friends with Charlie Pell. He was really good friends with Danny Ford. There's a picture of me. I think I was five years old in a uh, Clemson National Championship T-shirt from my that, that, that Danny Ford sent my grandpa to to put me in when when they won their national title. I think it was eighty. 80 or 81, the year before Georgia. Yeah, they, in 80, they won the national. It would have been technically the 81 national championship. So, yeah, my grandpa was a uh, – he was he was kind of like the Buddy Garrity of several football programs. Uh, nowhere on the nowhere on the staffing sheet, always in the office, often uh, doing some unseemly things. So that's a he, – he died when I was very young. I, I wish I would have known him uh, much more, uh, you know, not because, oh, I want to know my grandpa, but I want to hear how all the dirty stuff happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's a little, little scroll down memory. this week off here. I, I'm, I fear I might. I mean, if somebody wants to file a 1981 NCAA infraction against Florida, Kentucky, and, and uh, Clemson, I will be a character witness for my grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, anything else you guys have before we bring this show to an end? Nope. Good. All right. Well, as always, we want to encourage you to go to hornfrogblitz.com. Join our website. It's a great opportunity to stay connected. All the things that we've been talking about, they've been talking about online for weeks here. All the great inside information that you want to know about TCU football. we got basketball going on now. That and a whole lot more you will find on Horn Frog Blitz. You need to go be a member and go be a member today. You also, we'd love for you to subscribe to the Frogcast on iTunes, on Apple Play. It's a good way for more people to know about TCU football. And for people that want to know about TCU football, they can hear us talk about it. Give us a rating, give us a review, share us on Facebook, on Twitter, on social media. We want to get the word out. We are continuing to grow our listenership. And even in the offseason, we see our numbers go up because more and more people are sharing the good news about the Frogcast right here on Horn Frog Blitz. So until our next episode, for Jeremy Clark and for Daniel Southern, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast. <laughs>